My name's Sharon Waters and here we are again for the second series of Seeing Ourselves, the podcast. It's lovely being here at the National Maritime Museum. We are in a different store this time <laughs> and I'm joined by Fiona Compton and Serena Lee and it's so good for the three of us to be back again after all this time. It's been a few months. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us again. I thought we could start um, maybe just by explaining who you are for those listeners who haven't listened to the first series. And if each of you explains who you are, and then we will dive straight into looking back at the last series and where we're intending this work to go. And then we've actually been able to see an object from the store here today, which has been phenomenal. So Fiona, if you want to start. Yeah, sure. I am Fiona Compton. I'm an artist historian. Um, I run a platform called New York Caribbean, which focuses specifically on Caribbean history and culture. And when we speak about that, that when we look at the Caribbean, that is going to extend into Africa, into Europe. Um, the Caribbean is one of the greatest epicenters of colonialism. So those stories spread everywhere, and that's my focus. But one of my main focuses is also finding joy and resistance. Joy and resistance are one of the things, uh, my main focuses through my journey of, of becoming a historian. So that's what I do. Lovely. Thanks, Fiona. And Serena. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm Serena Lee. I uh, run a platform, um, Georgian Diaspora. And on that platform, I like to research and find images about multicultural people and explain what I see in the image and maybe go a bit further than maybe others would. Um, kind of really looking at what I'm seeing. It's like I slowly, you know, describe what I see and it, and it, it makes an impact on me and I like to share that on Georgian Diaspora. But also um, I'm a lecturer um, in fashion history and contextual studies, which I'm really enjoying actually. So um, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Um, and I should probably describe what I do exactly. and who I am, <laughs> eh? <laughs> so I'm Sharon Walters and I'm an artist. My series entitled Seeing Ourselves has been, I've been working on it for the last four years. It's mainly um, collage works which celebrate black women um, predominantly. Um, but it's also a series of events, talks, workshops, and of course this podcast series. So it's expanding into lots of different fields. But I absolutely love the work I'm doing and um, it's a pleasure to be here with both of you. So thank you again. So last season, mm-hmm. we <laughs> Serena gave me a look. <laughs> Fiona gave me a mm-hmm. Last season, we focused mainly on objects and items from the collections and archives. And um, many of the senior staff members from Royal Museums Greenwich National Maritime Museum actually listened to that podcast series. And we've just come out of a meeting with Sarah, who is the head of um, engagement. And do you want to, do either of you want to start with what the outcomes have been? Um, I think it's, it's been great to hear that, um, that those who have been working with the museum have engaged with the podcast because mm-hmm. we didn't really know, like we did, we, we created a podcast, we didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And to see that 
such a positive result has come from it because we were very open and honest um, in our in kind of in our discussions about the Atlantic Room and some of the things in the collection, how these things made us feel, and it's great to hear that it was received with um, certain levels of openness mm-hmm. and readiness for change because you're hearing about all of these museums are being decolonized here, decolonized. What does that actually mean? Yeah. And what what are these moments of progression? So to hear that there, this the podcast did inspire some change um, and kind of really looking internally about the changes that need to be done um, within the collections and also looking at the wealth of... of um, artifacts, information, and stories that are held in their archive and how we can reshape the perspectives of how in which these stories are told, um, I think is, is a, a great step in the right direction. Mm, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good step. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of this, this does happen. There are people out there that are always trying to work with museums and with communities and certain minorities etc it always happens and then sometimes nothing really happens so it's good to see that there's a framework and Mm. that there is a there's motivation Mm. that they want help outside from outside and bring that in so I'm I'm positive yeah you know I'm positive so we'll see and I'm always quite skeptical about these kind of things because you think is it just a tick box exercise where is the legacy where's the impact of the work but from the discussion, it feels as though there is going to be some real impact. And Charlotte, who is um, Adults and Communities Participation Manager, has been integral in making that to happen. So some of the things that are going to change, so we've been asked to be on an advisory group to write, rewrite some of the um, labels. Um, and there's a whole year of change planned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah based on the kinds of points that we raised in the first series. Um, they're addressing the problematic areas of the space. And we're really clear about the fact that that Atlantic room, that, that room really sanitized history. 100%. Um, so, yeah, I'm really pleased that we'll be part of the ongoing work that's going to be done. As you're saying, the exhaustion of the whole tick box exercises, mm. we've, we've been parts of them, we're going there feeling very hopeful and then get so woefully disappointed. Mm-hmm. And to see that like a real affirmative action is happening mm. is great to hear. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited to see the changes because I think as it stands now, I would not want anyone to be going to Atlantic Room without one, being emotionally prepared for what they're yeah. going to see, and also someone to help help them navigate through some of the things and how sometimes you need like an actual someone there who can retell the story on your behalf because how the stories are told then, that kind of lack of human connection, mm. you don't feel, you may feel more informed to a degree when you leave that room, but you don't feel empowered you don't feel you feel trained and sad and Mm. hurt and you also feel that an opportunity has been missed for so much to be told and we don't want that when people go down there we want people to feel much more informed and to have moments of joy 
to understand the pain, to understand things from a human level, no matter what demographic you come from. It's not just for our community, the black community, but also like when we were speaking about the the mother who had come in there with her mixed race son and it, she had made a very trivialized comment because she was underinformed herself. Mm. And for her to connect to something that maybe she did not have any connection to and understand how she can explain these legacies to her son as well. Yeah. And I think it's important as well for institutions, big institutions like this too, because we all know that they're sitting on so much and there is so much that they can tap into. Mm -hmm. The community is incredibly valuable. We can offer so much to add to the story of who we are, who we are as a society, all of us. And, you know, something needs to be done. Movements need to be made like a whole, it ha and it will take time, of course, but it, it needs to be, you know, forward thinking um, consistently and constantly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think it's important that institutions like this don't just use or just work with the staff they work with internally, that paid opportunities are offered to people like ourselves to work alongside them, but also to open up who they employ within the organisation needs to change because otherwise you're just coming in and supporting an institution as, a part, as opposed to being an integral part of those who are able to make decisions and um, make powerful changes. Yes, and that happens all the time. They, have, they do do these outreach, yeah. but really it's within the actual institution yeah. you need people like that are interested in history, that are interested in changing the story, mm. telling other stories, being a bit more in-depth and offering another perspective because it's out there. We're all, you know, people mm. are out there. You see it now online. We're out there. So, you know, let's let's do something yeah. about it. Which is precisely why I wanted to work with you both. And it was, <laughs> it's been amazing working with you. Um, you too. Thanks. <laughs> so we... We're really pleased today because we actually got to come to the um, collection store and actually have a look in person at a snuff box which you selected, Serena, to talk about today. Well, we're all going to talk about it. <laughs> so do you want to explain a bit about why you chose um, the snuff box and, and maybe a description as well of it? We can all describe how it, how it looks. But... Um, just to introduce the people listening. So Serena, you selected the snuff box and I'd love you to explain to us why you chose the snuff box, what you were drawn to and the feelings you got when actually seeing it here for the first time. I picked this snuff box because I'm so interested in uh, material culture in Georgian times and I was really quite surprised when I saw this interesting piece of work um, and then to be able to come and see it um, in you know in the actual archive I'm so pleased and it is a beautiful piece just talking about you know what it is a snuff box how it's used it's lovely so that that was what drew, drawn me to it is it because I just love snuff boxes and miniatures of that age I mean they're just beautiful so when I see a, a black image then I want to always know more mm. and that's what kind of drawn me to it for the people who don't understand what a snuff box is, can you explain what a snuff box is? Um, so a snuff box is a, you used to put your, in the 18th century, you used to put tobacco in there and it could be powdered 
tobacco or you'd add a bit of fruit to the tobacco and it was just you'd like pinch a bit and sniff it up your nose and get like a hit because in those days places didn't smell that great so the rich people would be able to have this little snuff box that they carried around and like just pinch a bit of it and and put it up their nose mm-hmm. it's kind of a way of um having nicotine but mm. not smoking right yeah and the snuff box is a combination, is it of silver and yeah, so it's, it's, of ivory as well, isn't it? Yes, it's silver. It's a silver gilt snuff box and it's painted, the picture is painted on ivory. Mm-hmm. Now the picture is on the inside lid and it has a woman. Um, she, I mean, she looks wealthy in the way that she's styled and in her position, but she's also got her breast out, yeah. one breast hanging out. Now, we're not too sure why that is, but I have my ideas. But behind her, which is what I'm interested in, is a young enslaved African. He, he looks like a boy, definitely a boy, I think. And he's got one hand up waving. Mm. Well, I don't know if he's waving or... It's raised. It's really difficult. I, it's, I feel as though yeah, he's you... waving, but I'm not sure. And I'm, I'm intrigued by, the, by his interaction because quite often enslaved Africans in imagery didn't actually seem to do to engage with the audience or engage with the viewer in a way that kind of kind of alludes to any kind of personality beyond being an enslaved African do you see what I mean that's very true because usually they're looking yeah and very passive whereas this is an image of an enslaved African almost doing or trying to communicate do you see what I mean yes you're right because normally they're they're doing something else. They're not looking straight at the viewer. Yeah. And for him to be engaging or communicating with the viewer, that is very different. Yeah, really Very, different. very different. That's true. And you can tell he's an enslaved African because he's got a collar. Yes. Around yes. his neck. Yes. This young boy. And, and actually, it also reminds me of Manet's um, Olympia, mm. where there's um, a woman, um, a white woman, and she's um, reclining on a bed naked and she's looking straight at the viewer. Mm-hmm. And then you have her uh, a black servant mm-hmm. giving her flowers who's dressed. And you, it's almost like you don't see her. But it's, So it's like mm-hmm. they contrast. Mm-hmm. In, the, in these times, these images were to contrast the skin color so that it would elevate the main protagonist. Gotcha. So, I mean, and it makes you think, were, was this a, a gift? Was it some? Was it a man that had it? Which I, which uh, I suspect uh, assumed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But then obviously the fact that having an enslaved person in your portrait or whatever is a signifier of, of your wealth Absolutely. as well. Yes. But in terms of, um, and then also just like how the fact that he has on a collar, mm. which is something that's so that is constricting, right? And that she has like the looseness and freedom to have like her breasts out and her clothes are so loosely draped around her. Um, it is it is very telling. Yeah, it's contrasting. It yes, gives you the idea. Yes, it's such a stark of, contrast. Exactly, the, of, of what is bound. Mm. Yes. And what is, what free. is free. And what is free. Yes, yes. And also the features being so similar. Yeah, they look so alike. I think that actually. They're drawn in the same way. They you? are. They are drawn in the same way, but do you think that was the intention of the artist? Or? I think I, 
My immediate in- response was the artist is not very good. Maybe they could just paint in paint one way. Well. Yeah. But it but but it does give you that idea, as we have that assumption, it does give you that idea that actually a lot of slave owners or plant or people that lived on the plantation did have relationships mm-hmm. with yeah, enslaved Africans, the mm-hmm. people that they worked and mm-hmm. lived with day in, day out. It almost makes sense, so that's why you have the idea. But do you think that would be something that they would want to celebrate in a within an object that was being held in such high esteem? Would they want to display that they were having relations with an enslaved but they didn't. Woman. They they wouldn't have seen it. That they've just seen that as property. That's just part yeah. of their property. Like if you had a dog, I'd just be completely plain. It was just something that it was like an unsaid acceptance. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You know. I mean, even I remember. I can't remember if we discussed in the last podcast, but I'd come across a, someone who had gone to a plantation in Jamaica, and this is from Jamaica as well. Yes. And they were so mad because they went to this um, this home of a slave owner on his, on his plantation. And that his children, his European children were there. And they had an older brother who was of mixed heritage. Mm. So clearly he fathered the child. But the child, his mixed race child was serving. So was enslaved mm. and was serving the European children. But he looked so much like his father. It was completely un like deniable, yeah. that, that he fathered that child, and everyone was just moving around yeah. oblivious and having him as a servant. So it was just, it was just this unsaid mm. thing. I've known that, but there's something about this that feels different. I don't know mm. what it is. But what would their relationships be? Because he's younger than her, and I, yeah, I don't know what this relationship is. I find this relationship a little bit odd. Her exposed breast. I think it's more about her, like. Her image, maybe it's a, a She's love. She's proud to- of her. Boots. It's a love token. Yeah, she wants to yeah. show them off and her wealth mm-hmm. as a lady mm-hmm. and what she has to offer. So, Serena, in your in your research of this of this era of of art and representation, you would have come across other portraits that maybe not will have NCA people incorporated of women that have um, their breasts out. What does that normally signify? So the breast out in this in these this era of time and before then was mm. seen as being um, fruitful. Mm. Okay. So it could be seen in a, in a nurturing sense yeah. mm-hmm. or in a sexual sense. The the lines were kind of blurred on which one, but it was definitely about being you know nurturing, fruitful, mm. you know, ready to life giving. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because they could be brother and sister. You never know. Yes. I thought of that. That's what I thought when yeah. I first saw it. Yes, because I of mean, the likeness be, as well. Yeah, and it could be to a, a father, or it could be to her. Yeah, to somebody that she's interested in, because it makes me think of the male gaze as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's a woman there with her breast out, mm-hmm. and then also, you know, almost normalizing domesticated um, enslaved Africans. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the furniture. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, as you said, part of the furniture. Yeah, but it's it's, it's fancy f- furniture, it's expensive yeah. furniture. Absolutely, yes. She's a she's a kept woman because she has this servant behind her at any time, even times in which where she has her herself exposed. Just going back to his gesturing, it's just making me think about 
in this particular piece, it's almost as though you're, he's commanding you to see him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's something really engaging about that. It's a very gentle hello, it's a yeah. very gentle wave. His face is, his slight smile. And his off-center look, because he's mm -hmm. not, again, he's not looking at directly her, at, yeah. Which is usual yeah. um, of those images, or that they're looking yes. away. But they're, yes. yeah, and they're both looking away, aren't they, towards the same direction. Mm. So to me, it could be a family portrait. Mm. What do you think? Like, oh, do you mean like a segment from a family portrait? No, but it could be for, they, it was made for a father. Oh, he was going back to England or wherever. Okay. okay. And he wanted an image of his family. His right. daughter. Right. Okay. And his, you know, unspoken son, maybe. Okay. But that's just okay. me putting parts together. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because you're saying that like a snuff box like this with an image like this is most likely like a gift, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an expensive gift. So who would buy this kind of expensive gift? You know, because like you're saying, snuff boxes were for the very affluent. And it's made of silver and ivory. Mm. Um, so in terms of, I want to know who, who bought this or was it commissioned, you know? I wonder. It probably was commissioned mm -hmm. so for the, somebody. So the family that it comes from, can we talk about the family a little bit? Oh no, there's no information. Well, there's no the information family, on no. it at all? Or where it was acquired or anything like that? No, there's no, no. It's no. just the date. The creator, William Hutchinson. Yeah, that's the, the person who made it, yeah. Mm. It would be good to know a little bit about that. And there's a lot of talent in how it's painted. Painting on ivory, and it's quite detailed. And also... I thought you said we could, we just said we could, you couldn't paint good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but wait, I know, but seeing it, yeah. you, you can see how small it is. I love miniatures as well. It's yeah. the same technique where you really have to... It's a tiny, tiny bush that they use. Mm. Yeah, and I do believe that they were cities, and that because some people think that maybe it's a topical image, but I think they were cities. Mm. So the difference with this episode is that we've been recording here at the collection store, where everything that's not on display is actually stored. Um, how has that felt for you? Because I know how it's felt for me. It's felt completely different being able to be in this space. Um, it feels as though you're let into a kind of secret world of, almost like a secret world of treasures. And that's not exaggerating, is it? Not at all. <laughs> I feel the same. I'm so excited yeah. um, to be here, to be honest, and actually see uh, the snuff box and then see the other pieces around, mm, but yeah. also the whistle. Yeah. So the from, whistle from the Titanic. From the Titanic, which I was so excited about. Because mm. we also spoke about the, um, the one person of colour, a yeah. Haitian Caribbean family. family yeah. um, that was on the Titanic, which was telling us about this whole story about the whistle and how this um, sailor had saved this woman. Mm. And um, the woman eventually was able to save him because he was out in the water. Mm -hmm. She pulled him up mm. and he was trying to look for something to say thank you and it was this whistle. Yeah. What I find really, what I found really, really um, captivating about hearing that story was her presentation of it and also being able to tell a story through an object. It brings it to life and you can see she was passionate about what she was talking about. 
So it made it really engaging. And similarly, with actually seeing the actual snuff box, it feels like you're part, you see part of history right in front of you. Absolutely. And it's almost giving the, the, the snuff box life. Yeah, yeah just giving it, it life and being able to speak about it and bring it to life again. And it makes you think about what it was in back in 1740s yeah. when, it was, when it was made. And also you're able to see things with, without them being behind glass, without them being protected. It gives you a special connection. connection and relationship with that object. For me, I don't think I'll ever forget today being able to see the snuff box and also just having these conversations around what the possible story could be, how it would, who this, who this young enslaved African boy actually is, what his story might be. I think all of those stories actually stay with us. There was something that I, um, I've read. Although the objects themselves are no replacement for the people we ache for, they are a reminder of the fact that those people were here and they mattered and will be missed. Oh, that's mm. so nice. That's so th beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? So that's the closing paragraph to a book by Mike Gale mm -hmm. called The Museum of Ordinary People. And I absolutely loved this book. But I thought it really connected with what we've been talking about in yeah. the series in terms of, um, of course, these objects don't, are no replacement for the people that we see. However, they really do speak to the fact that those people are important and that they mattered. And I look at these images and... When I see images like this from the past, I just think, okay, we know so much about, you know, when it comes to art history and we talk about representation, we know so much about the norm when it comes to these images in art history. It's always spoken about, this is, this is what we know about um, the white person or who that person is, and they're elevated, mm. okay, great. But I just think there's always a story that's missing, especially when you see them in the image. You know, I under, when I look at these images, I, I want to know more about that person, about the person that's kind of hidden mm -hmm. or forgotten. Yeah, and the voices that aren't often heard. Exactly. So often there are many stories, communities within communities that aren't told. But similarly, in history... Um, for example, the story of this young black servant... His story's not being told. He's not being celebrated in the way I feel. We quite often aren't celebrated, are we, if we're honest? And I think through do doing this series, we're actually being given an opportunity to look and be closer to those images. I think that's so true. And I think just the work that we do, mm. just daily, the way we look at images, that basically we recognize ourselves within these images. And I think we're bringing them forward. We're bringing them to light mm. and giving them the, you know, what they deserve. Yeah, the respect and the exactly. honour they deserve. The respect and the honour, yeah. exactly. Um, because if we keep, as we're going, keep going along as we have been, it doesn't serve. Mm. It doesn't serve everybody and there's a value in it as well. Yeah. Definitely. Which is what I'm trying to hone, what we're all trying to hone in. It's so great to kind of come across people that are interested in the same thing. Mm.
you know, we're stepping forward for them. And I think through doing the work that we are planning on doing with the National Maritime Museum in terms of rewriting some of those labels and having the conversations and being a part of the advisory panel, I think we're making change for the future, which for me is possibly one of the biggest things. It's one of the biggest um, opportunities to be able to do this work so that future generations don't have to in the well they won't obviously they'll still have to do the work we're not going to get to do everything but we're actually doing something small that will have some impact and change and I think that's so important and and as I've said before because history isn't stagnant it's not mm. history just keeps going yeah so we have to move forward with it there's no other way around it because um, we've already seen what happened when people keep their heads in the sand when everything culminated and Black Lives Matter happened. I'm not saying it should be anything like that, but what I'm saying is is, is committing to making the change. Mm. And it needs to be across communities, not just just not just us. It needs of to be course. everyone being involved in that. Of, uh, and it's so rich and it's so nice to interact with people wherever they... F we're, we're people, aren't we, mm. all of us? It doesn't matter where we're from or what we look like. It's about getting involved and what there is in this community, in all communities, with these heritage sites, we can all kind of gain something from it. Mm. It's not just for a certain type of person, it's for us all. And I really see value in it, and it's just about changing a perspective. Yeah, and about thinking about what you can actually do as an individual, what you can do in your daily life to bring about change, I think is really important. So just um, looking at the, the snuff box, and I was doing a little bit of research. And I a found little some, bit. Okay, and I found some interesting stuff. Nice. Um, so it, it has a, it's a complex, there's a complex etiquette um, surrounded with taking of snuff, which is a preparation of tobacco for inhaling the nostrils. Okay, so I've, I think I said that earlier, it's a mixture of ground tobacco and scented oils, and it was really popular in the 18th and very fashionable in the 19th century. And then I found a paper by Vanessa Fielding, and she does some research on tobacco, mm. and she speaks about how it's the Atlantic trade and how um, it became part of um, like a fashionable statement to have a snuff box. And this is um, when you think about where tobacco comes from, which is the Americas, like the Taunos and the Arawaks of the Carib Caribbean. So they would um, bound these leaves, and then and then it's also something which is traded, and you know, people, enslaved people would use this tobacco, and then it would be in this snuff box. And so, so it just makes you think of the cycle mm. of the tobacco being used, this, the gilt silver which is which is made where that's from. It's all about trade mm. and this kind of exchange, the commerce of things, which also includes um, enslaved Africans. So I'll just read out this poem of the time about taking the snuff. So it goes like this. This is from 1788. So it goes, a delicate pinch. Oh, how it tingles up the, tit the titillated nose and fills the eyes and breast till in one comfortable sneeze, the full collected pleasure, births and last. Most rare Columbus, thou shalt be for this, the only Christopher in my calendar. Why, but for thee, the uses of the nose, where half unknown, 
and its capacity of joy. So it just makes you think of the colonial politics, mm. which is encapsulated in this silver box and how it's brought us here. Mm. I kind of think of all the connections of that. It's so interesting to have the snuff box con contextualized in that way. And especially with the addition to, of the poem, the line that stands out to me is Columbus, um, the only Columbus in my calendar. Wow. So they understand exactly what they're saying. Mm. It's so embedded. Yeah. Is, is what, do you know what I mean? And it's only now maybe people are trying to unpack. Makes you look at it differently as well. Because when you think about the combination of um, the, with the use of tobacco and the era at the time, and then looking at the, there are so many layers to this. So many layers. And I think it's good that, and that's what I mean, and when, when there's layers there, so it's valuable and it's right for all of us, everybody, to research that, to contextualize it, to look at it, because you can't get through anything really unless you face it. Because mm. yes, some of it is hard, um, you know, it can be an affront. I know that from studying um, black studies, but actually it helps to kind of face that because mm. it gives you the resilience to, um, to, to find more and find joy within it. So what do you say to people who, for example, say we shouldn't look backwards, so complete opposite of Sankofa, we shouldn't look backwards, but we should only look forwards. The past has nothing to do with me. And, oh, your face, that was a great expression. <laughs> but, yeah, the past has nothing to do with me. We should just look forward. Their history has nothing to do with where I am now. What do you say to those people? I, I don't agree. I think history has a lot to do with the future mm -hmm. and where we are now. And, actually, it doesn't, it's not all bad, but it's, it's, it's perspective and deciding on what you want to take. And also how you want to look at it. Because mm. you can be told, this is history, this is what it was, that's all it was, let's not look at it, let's just move forward. But actually, what about, actually there's some great things in history that I do want to talk about, mm. that I want to bring forward, some images that I want you to see. Because they're beautiful, because I've got a story to tell about this image. And there's so much we can learn from history too. Absolutely. <laughs> so much to learn. And you can learn so much about what's going to happen next. That's what I find. Mm. Even because I'm interested in because I do fashion history, but it's the same with history. You can actually, for me, because I'm so embedded in it, you can actually see what's going to happen. There's like a cycle every few years. And if you don't look at, if you keep, and what do they say the saying is if, if you don't look to your past, if you don't understand the past, then you're just going to, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm. And I think that's true in this sense. Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed recording this episode. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always love to speak about these things. I'm really looking forward to us recording um, a live event in January. That's going to be super exciting. Thank okay. you so much well, for your thank, time. Thank you thank for you inviting me. Research. Oh, no problem. Thank you for inviting me again. Because I love this stuff. Because it's just it's been so long for just me just kind of doing it in my own time and yeah. looking and storing all this stuff on my computer. I, I've got so many images mm. and these stories and it's like it's just been in my head and until you like got in touch with me, 
I was like, oh my gosh, okay, so people are interested. We so are interested. interested, so interested. And the response to the podcast has been wonderful. So it's not just me. Lots of people are interested in the work you have to do and the research that you do. So thank you so much for the work you do. Oh, thanks, Sharon. I appreciate that. And thank you for this. This is your initiative and it's so needed. And thank you to Amaritime mm. for inviting us. You've been listening to the Seeing Ourselves podcast hosted by me, Sharon Walters. I'm a London-based artist whose practice includes hand-assembled collages celebrating black women. You can find my work on Instagram by heading to London underscore artist one or by visiting my website, londonartistone.com. <laughs>